Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. We are in the 16th century, which has afforded us the opportunity to engage the great Jesuits of the 16th century, huh? St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, St. Francis Xavier, St. Peter Canisius, and this week, St. Robert Bellarmine. These men, these heroic men, who are great preachers, who are great teachers, who are great defenders of the faith. So they're great evangelists, catechists, and apologists. And this evening we have been tasked with St. Robert Bellarmine, and uh, John O'Hara is in studio with me as he is each and every Monday evening. So, John, great to have you with me another evening. Nice to be here again, Joe. Thank you. So, St. Robert Bellarmine, another giant, another doctor of the church, John, one of the 36, and uh, a life, again, that comes to us uh, during the time of the Council of Trent, it's so striking, John, that we see these periods in history where there seems to be a decline in spirituality, a decline in that robust life in the church. And every time you see that decline, there seems to be this rise in sanctity and holiness. Every time you go into history and you see a decline, you're also at the same time going to see a great number of saints, because it is when times get rough that great men and women step up and live heroic lives. And this is what we see in the 16th century, certainly with the Protestant Reformation. And where do we find the heroism, if you will, in the way in which the faith is being uh, taught, in the way the faith is being defended, in the way the faith is being preached? And this is why we talk about the Jesuits of the 16th century. They were in amazing order, maybe the most amazing of all time. I think they are, even today, the largest order of of men in Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church. I always had a prejudice against Bellarmine. I knew nothing about him. Mm. But when I was a young, impressionable high school kid, I went to Sarah High School, and our arch rival was Bellarmine High School, and we <laughs> lost to them every time. And it just, I was in fear. Anyway. Well, <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it fascinating, John, how our own experiences can impact the way we think about sometimes even yes. important things? Yes, you it know? is. Right, it And it's, it's just kind of being real with our situations, and we have to overcome that. Yeah. Uh, it's always a fascinating trip. Right. Uh, Robert Bellarmine is a doctor of the church, a saint, of course, and uh, an amazing man, and we were very grateful that he came along when he did and did what he did. He was born on October the 4th, 1542, and died on September the 17th, 1621, so he was 79 years old when Mm -hmm. he died, and he lived at a a pretty important time. And according to the sources I looked at, he was the greatest apologist theologian between the Council of Trent and the Second Vatican Council. That's quite quite a long period of time. Yeah, quite a long time and uh, quite a big statement. And there's actually very few people who would argue with it because Uh of his works and stuff we're going to get into here, John, and because he's a doctor of the Church. 
But uh, yeah, that's a big statement and yeah. something to kind of pause and reflect upon because that statement in of itself suggests a lot for sure. Yeah. Now, he was born in a town with a long name, not a Poluciano. That's in Tuscany. Now, that's where Florence is, Tuscany. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was probably the most intellectual part of it. It may still be the most intellectual part of Italy. A lot, lot of great people came from that area, and, and he was born there. And his father was, a, I would say, a, an upper-middle-class type magistrate. And he became a Jesuit quite early. And uh, when he was 15 years old, he, he joined the order or tried to get into the order. And he was ordained in 1570. Uh, yeah, 1570 he was ordained. He was 28 years old when he was ordained. And he taught classics at Louvain for seven years. And then he was a professor of controversial theology. I'll take that as apologetics at the mm-hmm. Gregorian Institute in Rome. He had a chair established by St. Ignatius himself. And while he was the chair, he, uh, he wrote a book uh, over a period of time called, rather long title, Disputations on the Controversies of the Christian Faith Against the Heretics of His Age, Apologetics. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was so thoroughly done, people thought it was a team of people who wrote it. No, but it was him. And this is one of the lasting contributions to that line of work. And he emphasized tradition with a capital T and the magisterium or teaching authority of the church. If the Catholic Church has three, we'll say, foundations, the scripture, tradition with the capital T that we got from mm-hmm. the apostles, although mm-hmm. not necessarily written down in the Bible, and the teaching authority of the church to interpret this stuff the way Christ intended it. So uh, that, that was what he did a lot of his writing on. Uh, I might say that in his writing, uh, uh, similar to Canisius from last week, he was not into any, any animosity. He did mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, he simply stated what he felt, did not we'll say, put anybody down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just simply stated what he said, and therefore was well-received even by, by Protestants and, and, and others that he, was, he, he disagreed with. Yeah, similar to St. Peter Canisius, and this is what comes out in that work you just mentioned, especially when he starts talking about tradition. What he did was he really got into um, the writings of the Church Fathers. And, you know, John, when I was uh, going to school, I had the opportunity to go through this work, and it systematically is beautiful. The reason why it was and is so reputable is because it is so clear. It is so well-structured, so well-organized, and as you just said, it doesn't get caught up in the bells and whistles of, uh-huh. of all that animosity. Yeah. It just simply speaks to the point for what it is, and and he moves on. But he does so with great clarity. He does so with beautiful analogy, something that is very close to the heart of St. Robert Bellarmine is uh, how we are called to understand the mystical body of Christ, uh-huh. the mystical body of Christ. That was very important to him, and he would use the analogy of the relationship between the body and the soul, the body and the soul, right? So, for example, something, John, we've been talking about in Theology of the Body as we reflect into the relationship between the body and the soul, is the sacramentality of the body. Why would you talk about the sacramentality of the body? Well, when you talk about a sacrament, it is the outward sign of an inward reality, right? In our bodies, we communicate something. In our bodies, we manifest an interior reality. What do I mean? Well, if you are happy, what do you do? you laugh. If you are sad, what do you do? You cry. If you are embarrassed, what do you do? You blush. There is a sacramentality to our body. One can better appreciate the unity 
of body and soul. And consequently, for St. Robert Bellarmine, we are made to appreciate the mystical body of Christ in the context of body and soul, so as to appreciate the relationship between what is seen and what is unseen. If you can grab a hold of that, John, what you are then able to appreciate is how the church, <laughs> as a mystical body, is in the world, but not of the world, if you follow. So Interesting, important. yeah. You know, this reminds me of a quotation I read by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth about Robert Bellarmine. Mm. This is a quotation from one of his writings. This is okay. just a sentence or two. I sure, won't be... sure. And he says, this is from Robert Bellarmine, if you have wisdom, may you understand that you have been created for the glory of God and for your eternal salvation. This is your goal. This is the center of your soul. Mm. This is the treasure of your heart. Now, in short, he's talking to each of us, mm. and we are, uh, you know, we are personifications. We are made in the image and likeness of Christ, and therefore we are personifications, and our goal in life is to reflect that all the time. Mm. And, you know, I think we all know this. I think all the saints say that. I did, This is just is a line from him sure, that just sure. struck me, and it reminds me of that line from Ernest Bloy, the only tragedy in life is not to be yes, a saint. You know, he yes. made that to Jacques Maritain, and Radisa, which is, I mean, that's a theme of my life. Yeah, yeah, amen. Amen. You know, and and I'm going to go ahead and finish that quote, John, that you just read, because I think it opens up the deeper Ignatian principle here when he says, uh, the wise person must not seek felicitous or adverse events, wealth or poverty, health or sickness, honors or offenses, life or death, they are good and desirable only if they contribute to the glory of God and to your eternal happiness. They are evil and to be avoided if they hinder it. Uh, elsewhere, we read in St. Robert Bellarmine's writings, O soul, your example is God, infinite beauty, light without shadow, splendor that exceeds that of the moon and the sun. In God is found the archetypes of all things. I love that line. Yes. And of whom, as from a source of infinite fertility, derives this almost infinite variety of things. For this reason, you must conclude, whoever finds God finds everything. Whoever loses God loses everything. What a philosophy of life. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, that's it in a it, nutshell. It, it, it really is, and it crystallizes, John that overarching Ignatian principle of either you belong to God and you're moving towards God, yeah. or you belong to the adversary or you're moving towards the adversary, which of course yeah. highlights uh -huh. that principle of what you feed grows. This is what lies at the heart of St. Robert Bellarmine. Like St. Francis Xavier, like St. Peter Canisius John, he was a man who was highly influenced by those St. Ignatius spiritual exercises. He was highly influenced by contemplating the life of Jesus Christ in sacred scripture. And for St. Ignatius, John, contemplating the person of Jesus Christ in sacred scripture was very specific to actually stop what you're doing, make room for God in your heart, and enter into the very event, enter into the very episode of the narrative that you are reading. So, for example, if it was Jesus Christ meeting the Samaritan woman, what was the weather like? Were you feeling the wind against your hair? All of those things yeah. are very Ignatian. And uh, the saints we have been talking about, this was how they would pray. 
right? So I pause to talk about this because it's so important. Why? If we begin to pray Scripture the way St. Ignatius would want us to pray Scripture, we would begin to see these things so clearly, John, that St. Robert Bellarmine talks about. Yeah. You know, this: if you find God, you find everything. If you lose God, you lose everything. Yeah. Well, he, was, he had a busy life because he was talented and he got appointed to various things. He was, uh, he was the Pope's theologian at 1597. Mm. In 1602, he became the Archbishop of Capua. I'm not sure where that is. But remember, this is after Trent, and therefore he stayed in Capua and he did not wander around. This position came with a carriage and horses. I don't know whether he used them, but they, they, were, they were there. But he lived a very humble life. He, according to one source, he lived on bread and garlic. You know, that was, okay, fine, okay, put that in your diet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there were some nice curtains in this residence, and he took the curtains down and gave them to the poor for clothing. Mm. And um, so this is kind of the, the type of, uh, I mean, that, that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, I read another time he was almost elected pope. That's what I read. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. Now, a little bit about his writing, if I can get into that. He um, he was a little bit controversial. Now, about this time, uh, politics was, well, politics is always in a state of flux. This is the time of Louis XIV, and uh, things are going on in France and elsewhere, which are are quite a to-do. And let's go to England, where we have James I, as he succeeded Elizabeth uh, I, and we have the divine right of kings. Yes, yes. And this was not something that he bought into. No. In fact, he didn't even buy into the pope being having a divine right of the papal of the papal lands. Remember, the pope was the pope for sure. He's a vicar of Christ on earth, but he also owned a large swath of central Italy. And uh, how was he supposed to be the uh, you know the earthly master of this place? And he said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, you are not just there to be a tyrant." And also got into a controversy with James I over his divine right of king aspect, and this extended into other areas, and for this he was not that popular, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps with the Pope or some things, and in fact his writings were on the index of Catholic books, if you can believe it, for a while. I'm Mm -hmm. not too sure. Now, this played out in later years because he was made a a venerable fairly easy, uh, fairly early after his death, but then the Blessed came later in the 19th century, and he was not canonized a saint until uh, probably uh, Pope Pius XI, mm-hmm. and they made a doctor of a church the year after. Mm-hmm. So about mm-hmm. 1931, 1932. Yeah, 31. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it may have been these writings about, we'll call it politics. Okay? Yeah, and there's something interesting about how God works in history. Timing's everything, huh, John? Yes. Timing's everything. Just in the past year, we have... Uh, seen some some men become saints, and it's kind of brought attention to uh, the Catholic Church, and I would say in a good way in the context of what we need to be thinking about. And of course, I'm thinking of Unipro Serra, who was just canonized. We are made to think about who this man was, specifically in the context of, yes, when he lived, but also in 2015. There's a reason why he was canonized uh, this year, huh? Uh, I'm also thinking about men who have maybe been canonized, but have been recently named doctors of the church. 
the last three doctors of the church have all been mystics. And I think we have been made to think about the importance of the last three saints who have been declared doctors of the church in today's time. So I believe it's relevant to time, John. Uh, let's go back over some of our last doctors of the church that I can remember. St. John of Avila, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict mm-hmm. XVI. Before that, St. Therese of Lisieux, yes, a mystic, yes. or you want, we'll call her, she certainly, a, she was not a high school graduate, no, but no. she's a doctor of the church yeah, in her yeah, writings. Are beautiful. Yeah. Before her, St. Catherine of Siena, mm-hmm. certainly a mystic. Before her, St. Teresa of Avila. Mm-hmm. All of these were, holiness was there, they weren't apologists at all. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they were into our, uh, our approach to Christ to the church in prayer. And the whole point here, John, is that we need to capture the importance of mystical theology. We've talked about mystical yes. theology before, and we'll talk about it three or four weeks out with St. John of Avila. But again, the point is we have to appreciate God's timing. You know, so if, if we're going to appreciate God's timing as it relates to St. Robert Bellarmine, it's appreciating why he would have been declared doctor of the church in 1931. So these are things that we need to hit the pause button and start thinking critically about, which, again, John, would would have us going into the days of, of the late 20s, early 30s to appreciate uh, the relevance of him being declared a doctor, because every doctor of the Church is declared doctor of the Church for a reason, and there's a very uh, specific message, important message for that time. Certainly all doctors of the Church are relevant in through time, I'm just highlighting the importance of when they are declared doctor, especially, John, when they're declared doctor, you know, 350 years removed from their death. Correct, yeah. I mean, if you take a look at St. Robert Bellarmine's life when it took place, and you take a look at his canonization in the 1930s in the terrible depression. Yes, yes. And uh, Nazi Germany hadn't taken over Germany yet, but it was there. Uh The doctor, these people become, in a sense, two times, the time when they lived, and the time when they are made, uh, achieve these positions. Yeah, elevated as, as saints and proclaimed doctors of the church, yeah. Yeah, all of these Jesuits were interesting people, and what keeps getting me, being a little bit on the lazy side perhaps, is these guys are just, <laughs> man, I, they're, I don't know if they ever took a nap. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They just like, were, yeah. Yeah, St. Robert Bellarmine, like St. Peter Canisius. I mean, these oh, guys never stopped. Right. These guys never stopped. And you really see this with the Jesuits, because there was always work to be done. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but there's that wonderful narrative where the apostles come to our Lord, and the apostles are telling Jesus that the, the folks want you to return, and he's like, no, we must push forward. We must push forward. There's work to be done. I mean, we ourselves really need to ask that question, John. What more can we do? Yeah. If there's one question um, that prevailed, what more can we do? Uh-huh. It was always in light of the interior life. It was Correct. always in light of them practicing this Ignatian contemplation where they're meditating upon the life of Jesus Christ in sacred scripture, but they were always asking that question, what more can we do? And boy, did St. Robert Bellarmine do a lot. You said it. He held an enormous amount of posts. It was extraordinary what he did. Yeah, and well, now towards the end of his life, he, he began to write quite a bit on spirituality. He was always spiritual, I think we should remember. Also, a little aside, he interviewed Galileo in 1615. Now, this is before it got, you know, into the headlines. Headlines mm-hmm. that was about mm-hmm. uh, 
that happened after Robert Fellerman died. Uh, he was quite well aware of the science and the mathematics that went with it, yeah. and and also Aristotle and his conception of science and earth and all that kind of stuff, which all of this tied into scholasticism. Bellarmine was aware of all of that. Mm-hmm. And another little aside, there was another Jesuit named Roberto de Nobili, who was active in India, trying to convert Indians. And here you have various caste systems, and many, most of the converts were of the lower class. And de Nobili said, you know, if we want to really make headway, we need to go with the, the Brahmins. And so this was a controversy which Robert uh, Bellarmine entered into. I'm you know, it wasn't really settled, but this was just an issue that was going on. He was aware of all kinds of things going on, mm-hmm. a real cosmopolitan, and he reminds me of a typical Jesuit, bright, active, tireless, and holy at the same time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all these Jesuits embody, John, this call we have to preach the faith, teach the faith, and defend the faith. You know, there's something else about all of this that we're talking about. You can read these Jesuits and feel like you need to be this person who can do so many things. But what we have to appreciate is that these men were formed in such a way where they had the capacity to do the things that they did. It's really a challenge for us to be formed in the Christian Catholic faith as we ought, but at the same time to pull back and appreciate what God has entrusted to us so that we might not do too much you know, we talk about these Jesuits, and we can get excited about all the great things that they did, and boy, I want to do all of these great things, and boy, I want to be be able to yeah. go to India and right, South yeah. Africa and uh-huh. do all these great things. But the reality is, you have to ask yourself the question, as these men asked the question, God, what are you calling me exactly. to do? Yep. Uh, what are you calling me to do? Because I've been approached on more than one occasion, John, gosh, Joe, I wish I could do A, B, C, and D. I wish I could be a preacher, a teacher, or an apologist, right? Okay, that's fine. Make sure you're formed in these things and appreciate that God has given you something that He wants you to do, right? Otherwise, we can get ahead of ourselves and we can do four or five things, and in doing those four or five things, uh, we don't do any one thing well. Right. And uh, I, I put that out there, John, because I know for some of our listeners, it would be very easy to fall into that trap to say, gosh, well, uh, they did so many great things. I want to do so many great things. And what I'm telling our listening audience is, yeah, you can do uh, many great things, but make sure that you're prepared for those great things, starting with prayer. Um, yes. And allow God to just do what He wants to do with you. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself thinking you can do things that you can't do. You can do all things in God, for sure, but we have to be formed in how we are called to hand on the faith or how we are called to defend the faith. We are all called to serve. We are all called to love the poor like the Jesuits love the poor. But out from that, we do have to appreciate the charisms that God has put into our heart, unless we trip over ourselves. I've always enjoyed the way that before we go on the air, you pray. We take time to pray. I've got my notes here, and I got good. Yeah. But, and and that really, that's the important thing, to pray, even though we may say, oh, you know, I'm too busy. No, mm-hmm. uh-uh, really. And I've mm-hmm. re- really got to remember that. And I think Robert Bellin took prayer seriously all through his life, busy though he was. Yeah. It's really striking to read the authors of the great men and women that we talk about, John, and how all of them make a point 
to say, and I really want our listening audience to appreciate this. These are men and women who not only took time out for prayer, but any time God was sending them out, any time that God was calling them to do something maybe uh, unique, they spent extra time in prayer. One of the celebrity Jesuits of today is Father Robert Spitzer, mm, PhD yes, in physics yes, yes. and past president of Gonzaga University, writing a series of excellent books on deep contemplative prayer. Yes, yes. The Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life is yeah. my favorite. Uh-huh. Very good, John. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts um, with our figure of St. Robert Bellarmine. I know we've only scratched the surface. We've only scratched the surface. And in a 25, 26, 27-minute radio program, we can only talk about so much. But as I say from one week to the next, all we can do is scratch the surface. Hopefully, we we whet the appetite for our listening audience to um, go back and do their own homework okay. with these great men so as to be more versed. I mean, his treatment of the mystical body yeah. of Christ, uh-huh. John, I could not encourage our listeners enough to read that work yeah. um, alongside of some of his um, spiritual reflections. Okay. My only closing thought is great though Robert Bellman is, go Sarah High School. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very good. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.